0: Welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Today's interview guest is Toronto FC's Josie Altidore. We've had some great interview guests lately, including Jurgen Klopp, Sam Stasekel, and Andres Kantor, along with many others you should check out. It would be absolutely huge for this podcast growth if you could subscribe, recommend us to your friends, take a little bit of time to rate and review us in Apple Podcasts. We'll have Josie Altidore on soon here. You don't want to miss that interview. But let's start with some talk about the soccer weekend with Taylor Rockwell from our partner podcast, The Total Soccer Show. Taylor, thanks so much for joining me.
1: Thank you for having me, as always. Always good to chat. Uh, Always good to end my weekend by talking about soccer so that I can then begin my week by talking about
0: soccer. (laughs) It's a continuous loop. Um, Yeah. There is a lot to talk about. I want to start with the North London Derby. Tottenham 2, Arsenal 1. Spurs come from behind to win. Pass Arsenal in the table for eighth place. And, you know, I'm not a Tottenham fan. I'm not an Arsenal fan. I enjoy listening to my friends who are (laughs) complain about both those teams, actually. But maybe Arsenal fans even more. And and that was pretty rife today. Arsenal goes up uh, with an early goal Mm. and then... In what I thought was actually one of the better performances under Mourinho for Tottenham, which granted, there haven't been that many good ones, <laughs> but uh, but you know, I, I like the way they came back today.
1: Yeah, I, I did not see this coming at all, uh, I, and I think that's a pretty common. Uh, point until after the result, when everyone then points out that Mourinho, I think, has never lost at home to Arsenal. Uh, so maybe that that's part of it. But I felt like Arsenal had started to figure things out a bit more under Mikel Arteta. It seemed like the offense was clicking. It seemed like the defense wasn't making at least so many mistakes. And then I guess they came up against a Josie Mourinho team that were going to be frustrating and, and did sort of frustrate, although I do think we saw Some of the same old stuff of Arsenal players shooting themselves in the foot or, I guess, passing the ball to not their feet is maybe a better way to put that. I'm not sure it is, but you get what I'm getting at here, I think.
0: You know, like, I I really want to understand why David Luiz plays every game, just about. I want to understand why they just extended his contract. Yeah. I know his agent, Kia Drabsian, is, like, very tight with the Arsenal brain trust, but... I don't get it, man. I don't get David Louise. I don't get Arsenal defenders. I don't know why they aren't doing more to get better.
1: I would assume that it was Mikel Arteta sort of making do with what he's been given, except to your point that they've just offered this contract extension. So it then stands to reason that there must be something. Maybe it's leadership. Maybe it's chemistry. Maybe Mikel Arteta sees the strengths of his passing ability and, and is OK with that, even if it means he won't be able to make up on a mispl- misplaced pass, because it's not a good back pass from I don't get me wrong. And it is maybe the worst possible moment for him to play it backwards when David Luiz is sort of shaping up in the wrong way to receive it. Uh, not trying to blame him for that, but then just how slow he is or how slow that response was that he really can't make any, any ground on sun is a big reason why that goal happens. And yeah, if I'm an Arsenal fan, I'm not, I'm still scratching my head about why that, uh, that extension was offered.
0: In the big picture though, if we're thinking about qualifying for champions league or even Europa league at this point, these teams are in eighth and ninth place and neither team should be in those spots. And if you're a fan of either Spurs or Arsenal, I think you've got to be extremely unhappy right now with sort of the the way things are and the way things could have been. Because if Arsenal hadn't screwed up against Brighton, hadn't screwed up against Spurs, they'd still be in the fight for Champions League. And, and mm-hmm. right now, they're not.
1: No, and, and I. Th- think I am correct in saying that they are either mathematically eliminated from the Europa League after this loss or at the very least very unlikely to qualify, which uh, some Arsenal fans may not be too sad about, but Europa League is still Europe and that is a big thing. I do think, though, that for both of these teams... Their managers had to be changed mid-season. You've got a lot of personnel who have either moved or not yet moved. And while I'm sure both Arsenal and Spurs fans to some extent are frustrated by where they are, and Arsenal fans certainly by the result today, it does seem like Mikel Arteta has got some players buying in, has figured out at least a few of the players I think the same can be said for Jose Mourinho at Tottenham. That one remains a little bit iffier in my opinion, but I would expect both of these teams to be much stronger next season. Although that does tend to be a common refrain for at least a few different teams in the Premier League at that level.
0: Yeah. Um, Let's also just talk about the fight for Champions League because Mm -hmm. it seemed like nobody really wanted to win this weekend. (laughs) Whether it was Chelsea, which just looked awful uh, Mm -hmm. in their game losing three, nothing by the way, like, their second time they've given up three goals since they put that stupid number three on their sponsorship shirt front, right?
1: There you go. That's that's the mistake right there. We all know you've got to have a good sponsor, otherwise you run into problems.
0: Leicester City goes up uh, against a bad Bournemouth team, ends mm-hmm. up just totally wetting the bed, losing four to one. Is that okay for me to say that? It-
1: Keep it, you're keeping a PG in. I like it, Grant. Okay. I like it. Well done. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> and, you know... Man United uh, suddenly is is just one point mm-hmm. behind Leicester, uh, two points behind Chelsea, and Man United has a game in hand. So at, at this point, the way Man United's playing, they're killing everyone, they're fun to watch. You must be a, a, a happy man right now seeing all of this, but you have to also feel like Man United's in the driver's seat for a Champions League spot.
1: I am trying to be less superstitious, so again, I will <laughs> refrain from knocking on wood. I will say that you... I really enjoyed you explaining the uh, the downfall of other teams while talking about how Manchester United look strong. That has been fun. And it has not been fun to watch them for a good long while now. So it is really exciting that they are appointment television and that they seem... It has to end at some point. There has to be a loss in there somewhere. I I believe if they win everything that they are certainly assured of Champions League, regardless of what happens with Man City. Uh, but just the sort of chemistry that seems to have been brought back, combined with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer having moments of... Sort of like I don't mean for this to sound dismissive, but like genuine managerial acumen. Like he brings off Anthony Martial and you can tell that Martial is very angry about that. And Ole is just sort of like laughing at it. And I think that's because he's a striker. He knows what it is to be subbed off when you're feeling like you could get another goal or there's goals to be had. And I think he did that deliberately to keep Martial hungry and sort of angry, because that's when he's at his best. So those little moments I think are In other situations, if that's Mourinho taking off Anthony Martial and Martial looking mad, then you're sort of like, ooh, things are bad. And because of the situation now, you don't get that reaction. So, yeah, it's a good time to be a Manchester United fan for sure.
0: So we're recording this conversation at 5.20 p.m. on Eastern on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And we're coming out on early Monday morning. Also coming out early Monday morning is the Mm. Court of Arbitration for Sport in their decision on Manchester City's uh, being banned by UEFA for two years from the Champions League. And we're going to find out if it's going to be upheld, if it's going to be two years, if it's going to be cut to one, if it's going to be cut entirely. And obviously that has a huge impact on the Champions League berths for, for England. Um, I'm not going to ask either one of us to sort of mm-hmm. guess what that decision is going to be, because we're going to actually know it by the time you list everyone listens to this podcast, but just everyone keep that in mind as, yep. um, as they listen here. I, I look at the bottom of, of the premier league right now, Norwich has been, they've clinched uh, being relegated, but we also saw Aston Villa win. Mm-hmm. We saw Bournemouth win. We saw Watford win. And it's kind of crazy when you think about it. Like I yeah. I, I tweeted this a couple days ago. I, I, hope that some sort of psychology paper has been done at a university somewhere about sports psychology in relegation and promotion, like games toward the end of the season, because crazy stuff happens. It's kind of like that Werder Bremen game late in the Mm -hmm. season where they scored six goals and like way beyond what they had done all season long, or when Dortmund basically just didn't care and, and you know conceded four goals at home to a bad team mm-hmm. in their last game of the season. Like, is that what's happening here? I mean,
1: with, with some of the responses, it does feel that way. Certainly, the Leicester one is is very confusing because, as you said, they went one 0 up, and this felt like, all right, they're going to finally stop the skid here. It's Bournemouth who are a fun team, and I like Eddie Howe, but it does seem like they're having a lot of problems this year. Did not expect this one to go the way it went. And you wouldn't say that it's Leicester just sort of being on the beach or giving up, because they're in fourth spot right now, uh, even before Man City's uh, appeal is heard, or the verdict is given, they're in the Champions League spot. So you wouldn't expect them to be giving up. And maybe it is just sort of that if things aren't going right, that does then favor the team that is fighting <laughs> for their survival as much as they can. I guess fighting from for survival versus, like, we hope we finish fourth. You got to favor the team that's fighting to stay alive, I'm guessing.
0: Let's move on a little bit here. We've got uh, the game of, game of the weekend for me in many ways was Juventus yeah. against Atalanta. Atalanta, best story in Europe in, in just about everyone's opinion. Small team, not a lot of money, and yet they are in third place now in La Liga. If they had actually not conceded a penalty late and had won at Juventus, they'd be in second place. Mm-hmm. Uh, Atalanta is in the quarterfinals Of Champions League They drew PSG Which I think is going to be Really interesting to see But they're also just So freaking entertaining
1: Yeah they, they are They
0: are appointment television They continue to be Appointment television And honestly I, I, I don't, I'm curious to hear your thoughts The two Juventus penalties here If you're a Juve hater You're probably saying These are bad calls I actually didn't have a problem With, with these penalties
1: I I think it always gets confusing to me with the different interpretations of the handball rule mm-hmm. in different leagues combined with the I forget how Italy are doing VAR in the restart, but like they're certainly not doing it to the extent that other leagues have been. And I felt like both of those we're sort of, in the modern understanding, not handballs anymore, because the defender hasn't, doesn't have time to react. Uh, my, I guess, understanding was that the handball rule now favored the defensive teams. We know that if it hits an, uh, an attacker's hand in any sort of capacity, that's always going to be given as a free kick going the other way. But I didn't think that that was still the case with defenders, and yet both of these, especially the second one on Luis uh, Muriel, that, I mean, he's, he has no idea what's happening, and it's actually a ball going out of the box from Juventus. That he just is sort of trying to jump to intercept and it hits his hand that did not feel like it should have been a penalty and the fact that it was awarded instantaneously was very surprising to me both of them I thought were were fairly harsh they hit the hand I get that but the other factors in there had me a little bit confused how both of those were getting my
0: only issue with the second one was his hands his arm was completely away from his body and, yeah. and I realized that he was still fairly close all those other things but I don't know like I, I I think if you're if you're cynical out there, I get the frustration that it, mm-hmm. Juventus seems to be on its way to to winning this league and get, converting a lot of penalties and same kind of with Real Madrid. It seems like every time we see them, it's Sergio Ramos converting another penalty. Uh, but, uh, but that said, uh, I really enjoyed what Atlanta did in this game. Scored a couple of terrific goals. And honestly, I mean, yeah. I think they got a real shot against PSG. In Champions League,
1: I think they're absolutely going to beat PSG. PSG uh, what, won a friendly today against La Havre nine <laughs> uh, nil. They are playing friendlies. They do have the the coup de France uh, before Champions League resumes. But I don't think club friendlies against second division French teams in Celtic, I think, in, or who are uh, also a friendly opponent, are going to really prepare them the way finishing out the season uh, as Atalanta have and the form they're in. I think one draw, this draw, and then four straight wins before that. Uh, yeah, Atalanta have been strong this season. We're strong before the break as well uh, in Champions League. I love Papu Gomez, their number 10. Uh if people aren't as familiar with them, it's basically a 3-4-1-2, but that one is Papu Gomez who looks a lot of the, in a lot of ways like Lionel Messi, similar build, wears number 10, is Argentine, does a lot of the same stuff on the ball and really can be found anywhere on the field at any given moment. That is my favorite thing about them. I've said it before, I will say it again, is just watching him and how like, oh, he's a left, oh, no, he's on the right weight. Now he's a center back? Like he shows up everywhere. And I think that makes him impossible to deal with if you're a defense.
0: Yeah, I, I look at this draw here and, and it's very sort of lopsided just in terms mm-hmm. of uh, heavyweight teams. Not that, you know, obviously we've been talking about Atalanta, not that they're a lightweight, but you've got Atalanta, PSG, on one side as well as uh, Atletico Madrid and RB mm-hmm. Leipzig one of those four teams is going to make the final and then on the other side obviously we ha- you know there's still four round of 16 ties to to finish but what you could have on the other side is Man City Juventus Barcelona Bayern Munich mm-hmm. and do you come out of this like some people are thinking, oh, Atletico Madrid really could make the final now, or are you thinking Atalanta, or or well, or what?
1: And we may still have uh, Madrid and Lyon, right? Because we still have games to play. Correct. So Ma- Madrid, so it could still be Madrid over Man City. That's a game I'm going to be fascinated to see. I I think like there's a decent chance we're going to get a semi-final of Atletico Madrid Atalanta, and I am excited about that from a tactical nerd yeah. standpoint of how that one goes. On the other side, I think it's going to be. Crazy the way some of those games are going to be drawn and have to be played. I mean, Bayern Munich-Barcelona, I, th- I would favor Bayern Munich given the way their season ended but their season has ended so there will be that break and one thing we've learned from the coronavirus break is that it can be hard to get back up to form after that uh and then yeah Madrid Man City versus Leon Juventus that feels like we could get Juve versus either City or Real Madrid a City team that could be out of Champions League for next season so they might be hungry to win it before that happens Real Madrid obviously very very much built for the Champions League uh, really any draw I am okay with uh, after this round because I'm excited with the way this dra- this draw went in and of itself.
0: Yeah, and I'm just really looking forward to this tournament next month. Oh, yeah. um, it's going to be on CBS, we found out this week, mm-hmm. uh, which will be interesting to see how they put together uh studio show, things like, things like that on very, very short notice. Uh, we'll see how their first impression goes because they're going to have Champions League in English in the U.S. now for the next four seasons plus... Plus this tournament, um,
1: are they going to have? Are they going to have young up and coming sideline reporter Grant Wall as part of their coverage?
0: Uh, <laughs> considering <laughs> uh, Americans can't actually physically be in Europe yeah. right now, maybe I could do it <laughs> remotely. I don't know.
1: Oh, it's it's funny and it makes me sad all at once. <laughs> Yay! Um,
0: let's talk a little bit about MLS. Uh, MLS is back, uh, sort of. Uh, it is. Uh, the games have been going. Uh, they started the tournament down there in Orlando. There still are virus issues very much. Um, Sunday's game was postponed between Toronto and DC United after uh, some, one positive test that was later a negative uh, and then an inconclusive result on, on the other team. Um, we've already seen Nashville and Dallas be withdrawn from the tournament due to COVID tests. So we've already had two teams be eliminated, mm-hmm. even though they're still there. Uh, yeah. and <laughs> it's just so crazy. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on on this so far, just from, from what you've seen in this tournament?
1: I mean, my major thought is that I feel like what you described it as should be the official name of the competition at this point. MLS is back, is going, sort of, it is, 2020. That should be the name of the tournament. Um, It's nice that Major League Soccer is back. I know there are lots of people who are very, very excited to have it back. I'm probably not as excited as as many who uh, either do podcasts specifically about Major League Soccer or just the fans themselves. I still think a lot of my hesitation or lack of enthusiasm for it is rooted in fully not understanding why this is happening, because it does feel for all the world like it should not be, that we keep getting the tests, there keep being reports of uh, how much testing is being done, the the tests that are are happening that are positive, but even just how much uh, I think the, the most recent reporting has been about how much of the sort of industry is being taken up with these tests and how the resources could be better allocated. I appreciate that the league is taking it very seriously from a testing standpoint, but the analogy that I was working on today that I think fits is, like, it's as though I were inviting you, Grant, to, like, a poker game. And it's going to be in my apartment, which is in a building that's on fire. I assure you we have lots of fire extinguishers. Don't worry about the fire that's happening. Play play poker. It's going to be fun. Like, it just, it feels like there are other major issues that if you just put the blinders on and are like, hey, there's soccer on the field, and I guess if you avoid the giant Adidas logo at midfield, then you can uh, focus in on the soccer, and that, that works well, I guess.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm going to watch. I've watched every minute so far uh, of this tournament. I may not watch the entire tournament every minute, but I'll I'll be on top of the games um, as long as they continue. And Mm -hmm. it's a little weird because, like, here in my household, my wife, uh, Dr. Celine Gounder, is a medical analyst for CNN. She's been on this podcast. And she got quoted in Paul Tenorio's story in The Athletic that came out on Sunday about an issue facing not just this MLS bubble tournament, but the NBA stuff that's about to happen in the bubble down Orlando soon, where there's a massive amount of testing that is needed every single day for people inside the bubble. And right now, in Orlando, in Florida, which just had 15,000 new cases today, which setting a record for any state in any single day this year, they are having trouble getting tests and they're having trouble with waiting many days for tests and here you have mls and the nba doing all these tests and they can get responses in 12 hours or less yeah and that that doesn't look good and i know that the the leagues like when they decided to go here didn't know it would be so off the charts terrible in florida right now with the virus but it's also a reminder about how poorly our government has done with the virus. And in that context, it's weird to be playing sports in the middle of that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because you look at I mean, let's we forget the Bundesliga reopened, I think fourteen years ago is how long <laughs> it feels since they reopened. But I remember how much debate there was and how how much consternation there was about should the Bundesliga be reopening? It feels like everything is going poorly. Why are they doing this? If there's even one bad test, isn't that a sign of failure? As far as I know, there was never a test. I thought they were going to be in the Premier League as well because we had players during the shutdown, during the lockdown, breaking quarantine then. And yet that's gone okay. Same for Italy. Same thing for Spain. And yet with MLS, we keep having those positive tests. And I think that if you, if you switch the situation and you make MLS the Bundesliga, and if the Bundesliga were reopening, the first one to reopen, and we kept having tests, and I don't know, Wolfsburg had to drop out because they had so many, it would be a failure. We would be like, why is this happening? This doesn't make sense. So I do still have that sort of, concern and i think you're absolutely right that you've got to look at the people who are in power and have power and action to help change the situation and maybe aren't taking that action that's a definitely a, a big problem for why we're here and why grant can't be a sideline reporter and i think that's the other thing we should all be upset about right now
0: <laughs> so let's wrap up with the nwsl bubble and tournament there where they have not had any positive tests inside the bubble nope. um it sort of just felt like preseason almost in the games that we've seen so far in the NWSL because all eight teams are going to make the quarterfinals. Uh, it's basically they're competing for seeding and to just kind of get things going again. However, North Carolina continues to be by far the best team in the league. Um, are, are there any standout stories for you from watching this so far?
1: I think, I think first of all, the one you've already mentioned, North Carolina being top. That is not necessarily a surprise. It's not even a little bit of a surprise. But that... we, we I've done a few shows with Kim McCauley about the tournament so far, and I keep asking, like, okay, but there's got to be some sort of vulnerability. There's got to be something that has shown how they can be beat. There just hasn't been. They're just that good. Uh, so I think that they have backed up that reputation by continuing to be that good from the start is an impressive thing. And I think the opposite of that, being the Chicago Red Stars, bottom of the table, right. that is a huge surprise to me and one that you're right every team is going to make the quarterfinals but if they stay bottom they're playing North Carolina and there have been many who've suggested that yeah if you finish fifth sixth seventh it doesn't really matter because you're still then going to go into a knockout round where anything can happen but what we've seen so far is anything can happen and then the North Carolina Courage win so if you are Chicago at the bottom it stands to reason that it's going to be a pretty tough knockout round.
0: Well, I mean, those are the two teams that were in the final last season, Chicago yeah. and North Carolina. So it'd be interesting if they did face each other as a one versus eight in the quarterfinals. That's uh, a good call. For me, the Washington Spirit are actually pretty interesting because this is yeah, uh, a team that uh, has – yeah, we know about Rose Lavelle, but we're still sort of waiting to see her make the, the real leap to where she – is the main reason her team wins games in the league, um, mm-hmm. and we we did see that a little bit early on for her. She did not play uh, here on Sunday, but like she's expected to be ready for mm-hmm. for the quarterfinals. Uh, but also, Kumi Yokoyama is a player mm-hmm. who I spent time with actually in Japan for a Sports Illustrated thing when we were over there, um, and I I love her game, and I think. What we've seen the last couple of games is yokoyama being able to to have an impact with her creativity in a way that maybe not everyone was expecting heading into the season um know, that was a really nice team goal that they had in Mm -hmm. their win today and she played a big role in getting that pass in from a a wide position she's good on in, in a wide spot she's good when she comes into the middle she seems to have a good understanding with Lavelle and other players on that team in terms of attacking and I think this Washington team could could be much much better this year
1: I think that I think that's a very safe bet because if you just have Rose Lavelle and last season they had Rose Lavelle and Mallory Pugh it's a very limited extents because of injuries and because of the World Cup but if it's just Rose Lavelle this time around there you can go far but if people double team her and mark her out of the game or if she misses the game due to injury or fatigue or what have you You run into some issues, and I think you're right that the diversity of the attack, and you've got Ashley Sanchez doing very good flicks. We saw that, but then is just a very good player. Andy Sullivan, Jordan DiBiase, they've got lots of talented players in a way that they haven't had in previous seasons. So I'm with you that I would not be surprised if we see them go fairly far
0: in the tournament. Yeah, we'll see if Andy Sullivan's going to be healthy. She limped off on Sunday here. Yeah, there's that. Um, But supposedly they'd say it's not like a serious injury. So we'll see how that plays out. I I feel like right now, Washington is the team most likely to be able to to dethrone North Carolina. And And I kind of don't see that happening either.
1: I really want to do the experimental tournament where North Carolina, if they win, they win. But every other team, if you win, you get to like draft in the, your defeated opponent's like best player or two players. You get to bring <laughs> two of them in, and eventually you have an all-star team versus North Carolina in the final. I'm assuming that's how it would go, and I would enjoy that immensely.
0: Awesome. Well, it is always a pleasure having you on the show here. Thanks so much, Taylor. Thank you, Grant. Now, here's my interview with Josie Altador. Keep in mind, we recorded it on Friday night, expecting that his Toronto team would play on Sunday morning. But that game was postponed due to the positive COVID tests. So enjoy this interview. I certainly did myself. <laughs> Our guest now is Josie Altidore of the U.S. Men's National Team and Toronto FC, which is playing in the MLS's Back Bubble Tournament in Florida. Josie, thanks for coming on the show.
2: Hey, Grant. How you doing? Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you here. Lots to talk about, but let's keep it simple to start. How are you? How are your family doing?
2: Good. Um, family's good. Um, as good as they can be in this, in this difficult time. Um, obviously back at home. So uh, that's, that's difficult, having to, to be away from them during all this, but, you know, we're here trying to, trying to get a positive tournament done and get back safe and sound.
0: So we're doing this interview on Friday night. This episode actually comes out Monday morning, and in between, you've got your first game of the tournament on Sunday morning. How have you viewed life in the bubble so far down there in Orlando?
2: Life in the bubble is interesting. Um, it's uh, <laughs> it's interesting. It's it's different, um, but I mean, for the most part, I think a lot of the guys feel safe. I think the the league did a good job and in, and in, in trying to put together an environment that that made sense. But at the end of the day, it still kind of irks me to be here, and I think it irks a lot of guys. Um, you know, it doesn't feel like your average away trip. It just it just doesn't feel. Natural doesn't feel totally right. If that makes sense,
0: I mean the fact is you're coming from a country, Canada, that has done a better job on the virus than the United States has, and you're yeah. you've flown into Florida, um, a state you know well, but a state that's also where cases are going up quite a bit. And yeah. so, do
2: you feel safe? Yeah, that's the that's the that's the magic question, right? And and like I told you, I think the league has. You know, try to do their best. But at the end of the day, with what's going on, me personally, you know, I I would much rather um, it have played out differently. Um, You know, just right outside these walls, we have the cases rising every day. So that's constantly on your mind. And uh, like I said, you're just trying to do your best, put your head down, and just try to get through it and get home safe.
0: So before the first MLS game there on Wednesday night, we saw a really powerful, unified message from yeah. the MLS Black Players for Change group. How have you experienced all of that?
2: Yeah, I mean, that was incredible. That was one of the most powerful things I've ever been a part of. Um, you know, first of all, that that many players to come together in that short of time to kind of organize all that. So so huge kudos to Justin Morrow, who helped, you know, basically put the whole thing together. And, and all the players for for having the courage to get out there on the field and stand together, stand united in the face of, you know, all the events that we've seen happen. So, I know, I was really proud of every single one of the guys out there, you know, everybody that was involved in it. And I thought the message was clear. And I, and I thought it was, it was time to send a message like that.
0: So what kinds of discussions about racism, about Black Lives Matter, have you had with people inside soccer, people inside your team over the last few weeks?
2: I mean, uh, interesting ones, right? I think everybody's been faced, uh, if not with a friend or a family member throughout the past weeks in a moment where you had to have some uncomfortable conversations and, you know, I'm no different. I've had them, whether it be in my family, you know, some of my teammates, you know, Michael Bradley's a guy, I've known for a number of years and he's a person that, that has a level head and can have these conversations and see both sides of it. So it hasn't escaped us athletes, if that's what you mean. I think we've also been, you know, in, in, in a, in a position where everybody, has to really look in the mirror here. And, and, and that's how you're going to make change is if we collectively have these conversations and, and find solutions.
0: So I remember you and I had a conversation back in 2016. It was at a World Cup qualifier in St. Vincent.
2: And the Tiki about Colin
0: Ka- Yep, yep. About <laughs> Colin Kaepernick and yeah. his protest during the national anthem against police brutality toward Black Americans. And you explained... Why, as someone who was raised as a Jehovah's Witness, you didn't put your hand over your heart or say the words during the national anthem. You did stand. Now, the anthem isn't being played before MLS games during this tournament, but have you thought about what you might do during the anthem once games start up again in home markets after the tournament?
2: Um, I, I, not really. I haven't thought about it because I don't think there's any thought that's that's needed. Really, I think, you know, I I am very respectful of the the country and very grateful for what it's done for me. But at the same time, um, to to be to act as if you're blinded by the injustices that have been going on for not only now, just I mean, it's been going on for years and years now, and history is repeating itself. And for me to be as a father, as a as a son, as a brother. You know that could be anybody that I know and love. You know, in in one of these situations, and and in my opinion, you know, and, and the way I see things is, I I agree uh, tenfold in, with the protests. And if we were to have a game with the anthem today or tomorrow, I would I would be kneeling it, with with the anthem, as you as you asked. Yeah, and I assume you would have teammates probably doing that with you. Yeah, I mean, and and, and but at the same time, I'm not gonna. You know, I, I understand if people choose not to kneel. I think everybody you know, has a right to their opinion, but I, but I would love a conversation to kind of understand, you know, both sides. And I think that's important that we're able to have conversations and hear each other and not talk over each other. Cause I think sometimes that's what happens and nothing gets accomplished when that happens.
0: So do you think MLS as a league, which still has had no U S born black head coaches in its history? Think about that. Do yeah. you think MLS as a league is committed to real change?
2: Well, you know, that's the beauty of, of what's happening right now. You, you kind of see who's for real and who's not, right? So you know with with the MLS coming out and saying how they're going to support, now it's all about actions. Words are aren't are much now. So I think everybody will collectively see now just how much you know this means to the league. Will we see more black, more black influence, whether it be in coaching and in, in front office and in, in presidential duties and general manager duties? I think you need that, you need that influence to, to make everybody feel more comfortable and, and to give a platform to, to a lot of Black players that have done a lot of good as well for the league.
0: Even though the Players Union and the league reached an agreement that allowed this tournament to happen, I've had some players tell me that the, the league's threat to lock you guys out really did set the relationship back.
2: From your perspective, would you say that's accurate? Absolutely. Because I think the players acted in good faith through the whole time, I think. And that's a thing in MLS. I think it's a very different conversation because it is in a league where the players have so much to stand on in terms of the financial side of it. So I think when you look at this, the players acted in good faith. And I think it was just really ill-advised and really distasteful from the league to take such an aggressive stance in the time that we're in. And I think in difficult times, people show you their true colors. And whether it be by accident or on purpose, I think the league showed us how they see us in this current moment. And I think we'd be wise to, to heed those warnings and, and, and move accordingly.
0: So I know due to COVID stuff and quarantine, you weren't able to join your teammates, I think it was until July 3rd for any yep. sort of tr- training for the first time. Like right now, how close are you to 100% healthy to play?
2: I'm healthy, man. I could play, no problem. Uh, that you know, the rest is a decision for the coach, but I have no injuries. I've I've passed all the necessary tests into the group, so I'm training with the group full on and I look forward to the games getting started and hopefully we can be as sharp as possible because I think it's gonna be tough. Nine AM games. I mean I ain't played nine a. M. Game, Nine AM games in State Cup U twelve or something like that. My dad would give me a banana because I had trouble eating breakfast before the game and I eat a banana, a little yogurt and go run out there. But I'm intrigued to see how this is going to go. I am. I
0: I do joke with people that we're going to get our fourth Toronto-Seattle final in the last five years, (laughs) but honestly, I I, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. What is it that you think that Toronto and Seattle have figured out about tournament soccer in this league, some things that maybe other teams haven't as much?
2: Um, I mean, I think it's, it's quality it's experience i think when you look at both teams in the past four or five years we have have both and i think you need that if you're gonna try to compete or win any trophy you need people that have been in those situations that know how to handle them and at the same time you need game winners you need match winners people that could you know put the game you know put the game on its head with one action so i think when you look at seattle along the years whether it be clint whether it be nicholas lodaro jordan morris and then you look at toronto you know consistently we're trying to put ourselves in a place where you know we can win trophies by acquiring those type of players so i think that's the difference just the the drive to constantly build the best team possible and i think now it's interesting in mls because i think you're starting to see a gap in the teams that are consistently trying to win games and have a certain quality and then the rest so you know we're we're trying to be one of those organizations and uh, and i think we've done a good job doing that as has seattle as well
0: yeah i mean it seems to yeah. me like there's actually a little bit of a small market large market gap happening or at least spending gap happening and you happen to be on a team that's willing to spend a bit more money um i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing do you
2: no it's a great thing and that's the thing i think that's what the i think that's what the players want too you know know, i think the players i think the league as a whole has got to step things up you got to dress the league up a little bit more you know start to to, to do and move in a more big boy manner. And I think the players want that. The fans want that. I think the media would like that. So I think it's going to be an interesting time for the league the next few years. And I, and I hope, um, obviously, with this COVID stuff, we get through it and are able to come out the other side.
0: I want to talk about women's soccer with you for a few questions. Uh, you've okay. been tweeting about women's soccer a fair amount, including saying that you've enjoyed watching the games in the NWSL tournament. Is your interest in that relatively
2: new or, or has it been there for a while? I mean, I've always been, I mean, I know a lot of, I get a bad rap because I made a joke on Twitter one time about about the women's game, but I've not even the women's game, about an incident, but I've always been a fan of the women's game. I think when you look at the World Cup in 99, was it 99? When was it? In the uh, Coliseum. Yeah. Was it 99? 99. And I think, you know, even as a young boy, to not dream after watching that, it was 100,000 people in the stadium representing your country and Brandy Chastain scoring that penalty kick. Who doesn't dream of a moment like that in their garage? Young boy or young girl? And I don't think just because it was a woman that the moment was any less. I think it was just as great and we all saw it from our couches, from our home. So I've been a fan, man. The Tiffany Milbert days, Mia Hamm, you, you name it, man. I was there supporting the team. Brian is scary. we were Scurry fans back in the day. So... I mean, it's nothing new to me, and I think it's great to see them, you know, their restart has been fantastic to me. You know, they've they've been safe for the most part, and I think the soccer has been quality. When you take out all the elements and you're able now to just watch them play, I mean, I I see quality. I see technique. I see tactical awareness. I mean, obviously, there are some differences, but those girls can ball, and, and and I'm happy that that's been put on display.
0: So you tweeted actually fairly recently that you'd like to see Toronto get a women's league team. Um, what kind of response did you get to that?
2: And do you think that's a possibility? I'm not worried about the response. Um, you know, I, like I, I not even know what I had done there. I was just honestly, sometimes I get caught up into it. I'm having like little conversations <laughs> with people and I totally forgot like what I was doing. But yeah, man, I'm just, I'm intrigued, man. I, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm doing a lot of different things in my life, um, thinking about that next phase of life and you know, the women's league intrigues me quite a bit. I think there's, there's a, lot, a lot of potential for growth there. And uh, yeah, speaking of Toronto, for sure. I think Toronto has shown that they support their teams in an incredible way. And I think a women's team in Toronto would be, uh, be pretty fun to watch.
0: I'd like to see you be part of the ownership group. How about that?
2: Oh, don't spread rumors, Grant. Don't do that, man. What are you doing? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> One question I, I have is that we've, we've seen the lawyers for the U.S. Men's Players Union put out statements saying that the men's team supports the U.S. women's team's push for equal pay to the men. But we haven't actually heard many actual voices of the U.S. men's players saying that yet. I mean, do you support the U.S. women's push for equal
2: pay? I think that's an easy answer and it's absolutely because I think where it gets messy for a lot of people is when you have these legal things. And I remember being in the Gold Cup when we had to have a meeting about, about an article that was written saying that we had been contacted about something and that everybody that's had no yeah. comment. I forgot what it was, but then I remember then basically being told like we're not we, we, we're not talking about this. Don't talk about this. It's being handled. If you if you want to say something, use your union, and that's what we did immediately. I think, or I think we had already put one out prior to that, and just spoke through the union because we were basically told to not really talk about that as it was ongoing. So just trying to be respectful of the whole situation. But I'm like I told you before, I've been a huge fan of the women's team, and they represent the same federation that we all play for, and I don't think that that should just because they play in a uh, maybe a different competitions or whatever that that should minimize anything. I think their quality they've won the World Cup now four times now, I think, right? Yep, the best team in the world, and I think they should be paid as such. And so to see this go on as long as it has, when you're talking about the federation, they work for the same federation we do, and I think it's pretty clear cut. I mean, I'm not going to sit there and say I was a, I was a, Like I know it all at first, but when I was looking at everything and and diving into the numbers like everybody else and all that stuff, like I said, these women for a number of years have represented our federation at a high level. When you talk about Mia Hamm, Michelle Akers, and I've had a platform, a big one, in growing the game in this country, and they've done their part. And so I I hope that that will be handled in the right way, and uh, and I hope that's the end of it because I don't think that was a a good phase for the federation at all.
0: It's been so long since the U.S. men's national team has been together – how are you feeling about it right now about what about the national
2: team? What you mean? you say it like that's my team or something my team's <laughs> Toronto man <laughs> My team's Toronto, man what do you mean That's not my club team. I can't like i, I, I that that kind of annoys me sometimes. People are like that's not my club team that that is you know a national team. It's not mine. it's not anybody's you know I, you want to be on it, but I don't have the right to talk about it as if it's my own. And and uh, I think uh, I would love to obviously be back on it, but I don't know. I haven't been involved in it, so I don't really know what's going on there.
0: Okay, I mean, I'm certainly not trying to frustrate you, and I'm actually interested. No, no, in how... you're not.
2: You're not. You're not. No, I just I don't know. I couldn't tell you. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I haven't spoke to no, to nobody there so i don't know what the plan is i don't know what's going on okay i mean
0: part of me it looks at your career you're 30 years old you've got 42 career goals with the u.s men's national team which isn't that far beyond behind the the record holders landon donovan and clinton dempsey at 57 and i feel like you still have something to
2: give i like but it yeah
0: i assume you do too
2: yeah but like you know i'm not like like i said that's that's not a given right so if it comes it comes but You know, I'm, it doesn't change how I go to work every day and it doesn't change my mentality, but I can't operate as if it's a guarantee. If it comes, it comes and uh, it's an honor all the time. So we'll just have to wait and see.
0: Um, I'm curious to know what you think about Christian Pulisic right now. Um, He's a guy that is in a really good run of form at Chelsea, maybe their best player the last few weeks. Do you get the sense that he's sort of making the leap right now to the next level?
2: next level yeah I mean I think I think the talent was always there um I think if you mean in terms of doing it consistently yeah I would I would agree to that obviously the runner form for him has been great um but I'm but I'm not surprised but I'm telling you this kid when we trained in Columbus I want to say and we were playing who we playing? was it Mexico I don't remember but Christian was playing the number 10 you're gonna put him in the number 10 position I remember you know a lot of people were like you know not confused, but you know we hadn't really played with him before, and I just remember after ten minutes, I was like, "Eh, what a player!" You know, what what a player, what a possibility there. So, I, I haven't really been surprised. I think he can do more, and I think he he's gonna push himself to do more because I think he's a special talent, and uh, it's just really great to see what he's doing. I'm very happy and very proud for him.
0: And you look ahead. There's a lot of unknowns in 2020 for a lot of reasons, uh, COVID being a big part of it. You know, we don't really yep. know how many games there are going to be after this tournament. Certainly there's a hope there that there can be a regular season and playoffs. Um, what do you want to get out of this year?
2: My health, man. I just want to be safe, to be honest with you. I think um, when you look at everything going on, like I told you, like I, uh, the league's done a good job, but we're in the middle of a pandemic. And to the people that say don't come, well, you're not going to get paid if you don't come. So at the end of the day, we got mouths to feed too. We're no different than anybody else. But, you know, I, I just hope that the safety and, and some common sense is going to is, is be used from now to the end of the year and, and we move as the virus moves and not – the other way around
0: well if i had a, a glass of champagne i would say here's to your health uh into oh, 2020. Appreciate it. uh we've been doing these interviews for a long time i really appreciate it yeah. thanks so much josie Altador.
2: no problem man. thanks for having me grant stay safe buddy
0: thanks for listening to football with grant wall if you like the podcast you could do me a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review an apple podcast i can't tell you how much that helps I'd like to thank Josie Altador as well as producer Chris Whittingham. I also want to thank Taylor Rockwell and Daryl Grove of The Total Soccer Show for everything they've done to get this show off the ground. I'm back soon with another interview of someone from the soccer world. Be safe, everyone. See you next time.